I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hello, and welcome to Out of the Woods. My name is Justin, and his name is Matthew. Yes, it is. And today, we will be discussing an episode of Showtime's Yellow Jackets, namely episode four of season two, and it is very interesting indeed. But before we get into that, uh, Matthew, how have you been? Uh, yeah, fair to middling. <laughs> yeah, we could get into the thing, but maybe you don't want to. Oh, well, you know, just car troubles and yeah, yeah. house troubles have to move now, which is always a massive fucking ordeal I'd rather not have to deal with. But, you know, yeah. Life goes on. Life does go on until it doesn't. Um, yep. <laughs> it's a bit grim. Until um, you munch, do it like Ty. <laughs> indeed. Uh, I have I have been good. Uh, been watching some of the 1980s Polish TV show Decalogue. It is it is really quite good. It is it is all about different stories set in the same apartment building. Each one exemplifies one of the Ten Commandments, but it's not like explicitly religious. It's sort of like talking about how we perceive morality as human beings. Speaking of the Ten Commandments, have you seen the movie of the same name with uh, Charlton Heston? No, is it good? It's uh, long as fuck, like Ben-Hur. Yeah, you know? that's where they have that expression, bigger than Ben-Hur. Yeah, know? which not much is. Indeed. Well, uh, we're not here to talk about that. We're here to talk about Season 2 of Yellow Jackets, Episode 4, Old Wounds, directed by Scott Winant, uh, written by Julia Bicknell and Liz Fong. I... I don't think it was quite as good as the Legend of Korra episode, Old Wounds, which is the one where Lin and Su Yin fight at Zafu. That was a good episode. Yeah. This, is, this is still a good episode, though. Um, it is better than the song by the band Paris, Old Wounds, which is not one of my favourite songs by them. I'll take a word for it. You wouldn't like them. Um, I believe you. <laughs> so the previous episode, Digestif, that I loved, was sort of like the blood hive of season two. And I think this episode is maybe the Saints of season two it's a cool enigmatic episode that does kind of feel like a bunch of stuff happening it, i enjoyed it i didn't enjoy it quite as much as last week's episode but it was still a good episode there's a lot of intriguing setup stuff happens here uh do you agree sure <laughs> you're allowed to not agree <laughs> i still wouldn't but why not <laughs> oh because you i get what you mean i thought you were saying okay well let's not worry about that <laughs> we open on teenage tie Spacing out in the woods. Van is standing next to her, trying to get her attention. Ty wakes up and is understandably a bit freaked out. Van calms her down, saying, I'm right here, and hugging her. That's really cute. Van tells Ty that she found another one, and indeed, the tree has the creepy symbol on it. Van again proposes that Ty talk to Lottie. She still doesn't want to. She's like, it's none of her fucking business. I gotta say, I don't know if you agree, but I think at this point... It's sort of silly for Ty to think that there might not be something beyond conventional explanation going on here. Mm. It might not all stem from, you know, Lottie. Psychos. Yeah, well, that's the thing, and we'll get into it later, but, like, the mystical phenomena of the woods can be real and also untrustworthy. 
mm. if you know what I mean. Like, it can be happening and still not something that you should be buying into. Surely some kook carved all these symbols in the trees for ah, a reason. We'll get to that. Oh, sorry. <laughs> don't, don't be sorry. I do understand why Ty is reluctant to share this with someone else because she's very much a person who believes in dealing with stuff on her own. Van produces a make- makeshift map on a piece of paper and marks the tree on it. I'm glad these crazy kids are mapping their surroundings. I definitely wouldn't be able to do anything that anywhere near accurately in their shoes. And as we'll get into later, maybe they also don't do it accurately. Mm. <laughs> Cut to modern Ty, who has fugued into Jessica's apartment. And just a side note, really, Jessica? Spare key under the mat? You're a CD muckraker. You should know better. I shouldn't speak ill of the dead, I suppose. Unless she actually isn't dead, but she is dead probably. <laughs> Ty produces a folder containing information on someone. Ty then fugues back into herself in her car on the side of the road with an empty tank of gas. Apparently, the bad one isn't a very conscientious driver. No. But Ty just doesn't give a fuck about anything anymore. She just abandons her car and starts staggering towards her destination. <laughs> a good opening. Good opening. Even if the episode is, like, not entirely about this plotline, it's a little misleading, it's still a good opening. She's a senator. She can sort things out. She can. For this week's episode, uh, you would we you would know this because we generally skip it. Guest vocals for the theme were provided by Alanis Morissette, a fact that I presume did not exactly make you want to watch it more. No, isn't that ironic? <laughs> <laughs> no. <laughs> Rather like all of the things she says in that song. It's yeah, not yeah, actually it stacks ironic. up with her definition of ironic. What's the what's the joke? Um. Rain on your wedding day is only ironic if you're marrying the weatherman. <laughs> a no-smoking sign on a cigarette break is not ironic, it's poor planning. A yeah. no-smoking sign is only ironic at a cigarette factory. Well, I mean, like, you're probably not allowed to smoke in the actual factory. Which is ironic. I suppose it is. Yeah. Basically, like, um, the line in Doctor Strange Love, Gentlemen, you can't fight in here! This is the war room! <laughs> I was hoping that Alanis Morissette's cover song would be replaced by Stinky Britches from that South Park episode. <laughs> Cut to the present. Jeff is all, So the tow company just found our van on the side of the road. Shona responds, Uh, yeah. How lucky are we, right? Lol. <laughs> Can't they, they... Yes, luck. It was all an act of luck. They cannot physically restrain themselves from lying to each other. No, which, uh... Is an explosive reaction. Yeah. Callie, talking of which, Callie appears, announces she she is hanging with Ilana that night, and fucks off. Shona says she is going to... Okay. She says she's going to Coles. Before you get excited, the subtitle spelled it K-O-H-L-S. So it's not the Coles that we're familiar with. Is it? Is it not just a, an American spelling of the same company? I strongly don't think so, but I also don't know and don't care to know. Also, what do you get when Woolworths burns down? What? Uh, funny. Uh, she's going to buy Jeff some odor-resistant socks, which he's probably going to need to give her not a stressful life they lead. Jeff then says, apropos of nothing, that the cops know about the affair. He says that he overheard them. He doesn't say that he got into an idiotic public confrontation with them. <laughs> no. Emits that information. Which, uh, yeah, lying by omission. They, they really can't help themselves. As a rounded vid from The Witcher 3 would say, the spoken lie is no less abhorrent. <laughs> He, he really got beaten with the crazy stick in between The Witcher 2 and 3. Yeah. yeah. Shauna asks how they would know. Jeff responds, You don't spend a lot of time with him in public places. Shauna's all, You're right. I should have just run around in a ski mask. Also in public. Then she adds, Blackmailing people. 
if he didn't already get it, which he may not have. <laughs> well, I certainly didn't. <laughs> yeah, but that, that's what that was. Well, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Still some definite fishes in this marriage. Uh, a good scene overall. Love those crazy weirdos. Cut to adult Lottie changing into some seemingly normal clothes. Nat is watching her creepily from the doorframe. Nat asks where she's going. Lottie replies that she's going to the bank. Nat requests to borrow Lottie's keys as she is going to help Lisa run the farmer's market booth. Hmm. Yeah, I'm sure this is definitely a genuine desire of Nat's and not part of her plan to find out Lottie's fucked up secrets. Lottie then delivers the amazing line, You don't strike me as someone with enthusiastic honey-selling skills. (laughs) Nat says that she thought it would be a good time for them to bond, quote, since she forgave me for stabbing her in the face. (laughs) A fantastic line that Juliet Lewis delivers amazingly. Lottie assents and hands Nat the keys, though not without some scepticism. Cut to Misty and Walter on their road trip. Uh, I love these weirdos, dude. Misty has just called Ty again, still unsuccessfully. She leaves a vaguely obsessive message and comments to her companion that if Thaisa and Shauna have both been kidnapped, she's going to be very annoyed. (laughs) Walter says that he's sure they're just busy. More than you know, Walter. More than you know. (laughs) Or maybe not. Uh, he says they're lucky to have a friend who so relentlessly has their back, and Misty seems disarmingly flattered by his flattery. Walter then produces a bunch of cassette tapes, all of which are musical soundtracks, and says that she can pick whatever she wishes. I am... Okay, Matthew, I feel like I am just old enough to vaguely remember cassette tapes. Like, they were a bit old when we were young children, but they were kind of, like, still here and on their way out. Yeah, yeah, I think, like, any time past my age of like 10 or so mm-hmm. like you know they just weren't a thing i have a very prominent memory of being in grade one and we were all sitting on parade and was supposed to listen to a tape of something girl was like methodic for, for no reason this girl had like put a pencil into the tape player and was methodically unwinding it and got it everywhere and i was watching the entire time and i had the thought maybe i should do something but i didn't and then the teacher appeared and yelled at her and was like yep i didn't see anything <laughs> yeah uh, Misty then accuses Walter of just being a Yellow Jackets fanboy in disguise, trying to get close to her. She seems genuinely hurt by this. Interesting parallel with the Shauna and Adam relationship, where when Shauna thought that that's what Adam was, she felt insecure. As much as Shauna would hate me saying this, I think there's a surprising amount of parallels between her and Misty. Yeah. Walter denies these accusations, saying that he was merely inspired by Misty's true crime posts and by the fact that she referenced Sweeney Todd in one of them. Walter says that he doesn't care that she was a yellow jacket. He's like, that was like 30 years ago. And she's like, 25. (laughs) Love their dynamic. Walter says that her being a yellow jacket is the least interesting thing about Misty. And there is a lot of interesting stuff about her that doesn't relate to that. Like that she's a serial killer. (laughs) And she's like, so you just happen to love musicals and it has nothing to do with me. And apparently it does. Walter tries to put on Starlight Express, which as Misty says, is just the story of Romeo and Juliet, but with sentient trains. Fun fact. I've seen a live performance of that play. Oh, really? What did you think? Uh, well, okay, it was a special kind of performance where the people are only allowed to rehearse for 24 hours beforehand. Okay, so, so it was fairly already sh- you kind of pepped at the post. Yeah, fair- <laughs> I think that honestly made me enjoy it more. Yeah. Because I couldn't tell when they were messing stuff up because I have no understanding of this insane psychosexual train play that is beloved in Germany for some reason. Sometimes unpolished is better. Yeah, yeah. So, did anything stand out? All of the people running around with fake wheels on their feet 
screaming at each other and having illicit romantic liaisons was interesting. Yeah. To answer your uh, question more honestly, no. And so if they're trains, how does that whole sexual relation thing work? I don't believe they ever really got into it, but I presume very carefully. (laughs) Yeah. Because it it seems like, you know, trains shouldn't fuck other trains, they should fuck tunnels. (laughs) That would make more sense. Misty puts on something else by Andrew Lloyd Webber, which I did not recognise and did not care to recognise. Well, it wasn't Jesus Christ Superstar, which is like... Is that by Andrew Lloyd Webber? I think so. Oh, fuck, he did make something good. That's depressing. At least one of them is. Like, there's been, like, infinite versions of it. Yeah. Cut to the past. Misty and Crystal are singing the same song while Travis depressedly eats soup. Everybody is huddled in the cabin, looking fairly miz. Uh, Shauna appears with a meager helping of bear meat. Akila is grateful for this as she is tired of eating starling soup. Starling soup sounds like a me without you or the Decemberists song. <laughs> also reminds me of that, that movie Mandy when uh, yes! she's talking about having oh. to kill a starling and how it fucked her up for life. Oh my god, that movie is so fucking good. Listeners, watch Mandy. If you haven't, just watch it. It's fucked up, watch it anyway. I don't care if you like Nicolas Cage or not. You need to see it. You <laughs> will like him. <laughs> also watch Vampire's Kiss. Oh my god, If you yeah. do like Nicolas Cage, go watch that movie. It's like Maybe his craziest performance? Yeah, and I love how he eats a live cockroach just being like, they'll know. Yeah, they'll, uh, as a funny meme is like, um, Nicolas Cage, I ate a live cockroach for my movie, uh, the chick who played Asami in audition. Lol, that's cute. <laughs> yeah. And then I... Re- it was real. I'm boring. not going to say it. It's so disgusting. Just look it look it up if you're curious, dear listener. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Shauna plonks her slab down on the plate and demands to know who has been stealing bear meat from the stores. Mari loud whispers to Akila that it was probably Ben because apparently he thinks he's so much better than the rest of them. Yeah, just... Mari is just going to consistently choose to be the worst in this episode, and it's honestly kind of amazing. Yep, deal with it. Yeah, yeah, she's a raging fucking twat sandwich in this episode, and it kind of rules. <laughs> yeah, Ben replies, I didn't take the fucking meat, and reminds them that he isn't exactly nimble in the snow. He unwisely continues, But if it had been me, what would you do? Would you eat me? It just reminded me of Buffalo Bill going like, Would you eat me? I'd eat me. I mean, I, th- I think he, uh, paraphr- you're paraphrasing a bit there. I am. Yeah, I'm just, <laughs> I'm just picturing it as like a, you're not going to get this reference, which is probably a good thing. It's like a Soyjack versus Chad meme of Ben being like, hey, hey, would you eat me? And Chad Lottie being like, yes. <laughs> you were correct. <laughs> Nat tries to defuse the situation, but then Mari turns on her, saying that it's her fault they don't have any meat. Because Nat refuses to be blessed by Lottie. Ouch. Mari is, yeah, I've already said that. Nat, understandably, says that she's the only one even trying to get them food, which she hastily amends to me and Travis, lol. Mari replies that if there isn't any game, how did Lottie get the birds? Lottie herself seems very unsure when Mari says this. Ty says that Lottie didn't get the birds. They flew into the cabin. Akila says that it did happen when the blood dripped on the baby blanket with the symbol. Shauna says that they're still not sure that's why, and Coach angrily adds, yeah, that's what we call a coincidence and says that the birds were probably just confused or diseased. Misty says... Is this just Morris Guy? Oh no, it's a cabin! Oh <laughs> shit! <laughs> uh, possible last thoughts of the birds as they died. Well, I can't believe not one of us picked that up. <laughs> yeah, the birds are guest voiced by David Lynch. <laughs> we'll laugh about this later. No, we won't. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, I have, 
Yeah, uh, Misty says that if they were diseased, they would have gotten sick from eating them. Van says that nobody who saw the bear and the way it offered itself to Lottie could call that a coincidence, which, yeah, I can see how she'd feel that way. Now feels as good a time as any to ask, Matthew, which way are you leaning? Well, something fucked that bear up. Yeah, but it could have just been diseased or insane. Yeah, but if it was diseased, like they say, just like maybe they would have died when they ate it. Yeah, I... So Unless it's like asbestosis or something and like yeah. in 20 years they're just going to be, oh, well, that then we'd be, know yeah. because... No, I mean, that would be a very anticlimactic ending to the modern plotline if they all <laughs> die of asbestosis. <laughs> By the way, where's where's a bear going to find asbestos out in the middle of the woods? The, the extremely lame sequel to Cocaine Bear, Asbestos Bear. <laughs> I was talking with talking with Zane about that movie, and I was like, uh, "Have you seen it, by the way?" No, he has. He said it was shit. Yeah. I was like, "That movie seems really bad because it just seems like, oh, guys, look at what we did. We made a silly meme movie. Aren't we silly? We made a silly meme movie." And he was like, "Justin, but you love those." Yeah, like I heard about it, I was just like, "Wow, this must be amazing!" But then I was like, "Actually, yeah. like the whole plot and everything—it's yeah. just basically like this sounds cool, doesn't it?" But I don't think, and I can't believe it was directed by Elizabeth Banks. That like was, of all people to direct movies, feel like a person who should be doing that. No, and about a cocaine bear, like I don't understand it from start to finish. Yeah, that's like I, I still feel like I should watch it, but. I feel like movies that are intentionally made to be shit are never, like, entertainingly shit, if that yeah, makes any sense. Yeah, I know. Oh, well. So, yeah, are you are you <laughs> leaning more towards a supernatural explanation or rational explanation? I mean, probably the, the former. Right. I'm, I'm still sort of fairly agnostic, but things are getting weird now to the point where you sort of maybe do have to think maybe something is fucked happening. Yeah. But yeah. Okay. Nat frustratedly proposes that they have a contest. Both she and Lottie go hunting in the wilderness and whoever brings back more food by sundown is the winner. Lottie, her facial expression again is all like, I don't think I love this idea, but she doesn't speak up. I think it's interesting that she, despite being the subject of this discussion, doesn't actually say anything in the scene. This episode is in many ways all about the beliefs that other people put onto her, positive and negative. Yeah. So let me put on my mild Maori defender hat to say that what ends up happening isn't entirely her fault. Lottie at any point could have been like, no, this is fucking stupid, and refused to participate. But for whatever reason, she didn't. I think she just likes being ostensibly useful to the group. Yeah. So, you know, even if she doesn't come back with anything, it doesn't necessarily misprove her, or disprove, I should say, that her either. mystical powers. She She just wants to, you know seen to be doing something especially well, since you know what happens <laughs> doesn't want to disappoint them cut to modern nat and lisa on their road trip road trips are a big theme this episode nat asks if lottie only lets them leave the compound once a week lisa replies that they're free to leave anytime they desire nat in turn replies that it's weird that that's even a rule as if lottie wants to give them the illusion of freedom without its actuality lisa says that this is a reach Lisa says there are no rules at the compound. Everybody just wears purple or heliotrope because they want to. Apparently that is to make everyone equal regardless of class background. Lisa says that she only gave up the bad parts of her life. Interesting. Cut to Lottie, not actually at the bank. In fact, she is at therapy. She says that her current doctor didn't tell her that he was taking a sabbatical. Apparently it was a last-minute thing. Yeah, that sounds trustworthy. 
Lottie has apparently been seeing this fellow every six months for the past ten years, and she's not due for another five weeks. Lottie desires them to up her meds as she has started having visions again for the first time in decades. She wants them to stop. Apparently, the last time it became something different. How ominous. Yeah, this therapy lady is about as trustworthy as David Cronenberg's character in Nightbreed. <laughs> which is a great fucking movie, by the way. She tells Lottie that she should change the way she thinks about these visions and instead consider what they're trying to tell her. Yeah, I'm not an expert, but I don't think that's something you should say to a mentally ill person. No, just like, hey, you know these crazy visions? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Just, just stick with them for a bit. Maybe they'll, you know, lead you someplace good. Maybe you should actually cut off all of your limbs. No, no. Like off shouldn't. the edge of that cliff you nearly walked off that one time. That was tight, but yeah, yeah. Oh, shit. <laughs> <It's all right. laughs> don't, don't, don't worry about it. So, okay. Let's, let's just pause here to consider the implications of what we're saying. Because it's like, okay, this lady seems sus. What does that mean? If she's sus. The fact that she's replacing the regular therapist feels like a detail we're supposed to notice. So if we run with the idea that she's an agent of some sinister force, you know, some other unforeseen third party that is trying to make Lottie embrace her dark side, who's she working for? If that's the case. And again, I'm not saying that's the case. It could just be a red herring, but like... Maybe she's Cabin Guy's daughter. Oh... (laughs) Interesting. I had the theory she was working for Lottie's abhorrent dad, you know, but that that probably is also not that. It could just be some other some other evil party we completely haven't seen yet. But yeah, let's uh, worry about that later. Cut back to the past. Lottie and Nat are suiting up for their challenge. Misty is laying out the rules, something that nobody gave her the authority to do at all. She just decided to do it. <laughs> Yeah, I'm the queen of crazy. Yep. I shall set the terms. Indeed, indeed. Uh, she says that if they have to kill something and leave it where it is, the others will come and help them bring it back, and they must be back before sundown, or they're automatically disqualified. Misty says that they only have one gun, so maybe they can draw cards. Put a pin in that. Until Mari is all like, Lottie doesn't need a gun. L- Lottie's expression suggests, I don't? I think maybe I do, actually. And again, she has every opportunity to speak up, but she chooses not to. Outside, Mari, Akila, Misty, Van, and Crystal help Lottie prepare for her hunt, while Travis, Ty, Jen, and Melissa help Nat. Interesting. Must keep an eye on those last two. The former at least seemed sceptical of the wilderness spirituality in the first episode. Lottie and Nat exchange brief glances of mutual respect and understanding to quote a Wilford Brimley YTP. <laughs> Ty stomps frustratedly back into the cabin. Van watches her purposefully. Irrespective of my beliefs about rationality versus spirituality, in such a conflict, I'm probably going to go with the person who knows how to fire a gun. Yeah. Yeah. Lottie wanders through the woods. She closes her eyes and tries to tap into the special magic. She hears something rustling in the trees, but it doesn't emerge. She puts her hand on the special symbol tree, but it doesn't seem to help. She seems a lot less certain about her powers in this episode than in past episodes. Nat sees something disturb some snow in the treetops, tries to get a bead on it, but it's gone. But then, more excitingly, she spies the tracks of some sort of ungulate. God damn, that's exciting. Cut to Shauna, in the present, in the car park of Coles? Let's just let this debate rest. (laughs) Ilana's mum appears. She seems nice. 
They say hi. Shauna thanks her for letting Callie stay over at her place. But then Alana is like, nah, Callie hasn't come over in weeks. Pretty sure your daughter is actually having clandestine bangathons. <laughs> she doesn't say it like that, but I think that's what Shauna assumed. Uh, yeah, cuts Shauna rooting around in her daughter's room. She finds a condom. And, dot, 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 Adam's burnt license remnant. Oh no! I sincerely hope Shauna destroyed that immediately afterwards. I mean, you'd have to assume it went down the garbage disposal a, or some shit. A big, a big bonehead move to not do so. Callie is walking home from school, I think, and texting Jay, in reality, Officer Twatface, when Shauna pulls her over to tell her to get in the car, as she wants them to go somewhere and have some fun. Terrifying. I had the vibe of, like, is Shauna going to fucking murder her? Yeah, I feel like if Melanie Linsky pulled up in a minivan and yes! asked me to get in and go somewhere fun, I'd be like, oh, yeah, no thanks. You're running for the hills. <laughs> she can. She's, by all accounts, is like the nicest, sweetest person in her life, and she's capable of being so fucking terrifying. Yeah, she's alarming in this show. <laughs> she is. I, I worry about what she might do Yeah. next. <laughs> Cut to Misty and Walter having breakfast in some sort of posh-looking B&B. They have arrived at their destination. They debate whether to ask the waitress about the cult or not. Misty elects not to. Walter then... Okay, this is so horrifying, I can barely even describe it. But he, like... He makes a taco out of bacon and puts scrambled eggs in it. I mean, so far that's fine. Yeah, not that bad so far. Then he puts maple syrup and mustard on it simultaneously. I mean, the maple syrup, by American standards, is fine. By Australian standards, that's it's a bit iffy. But then mustard, the mustard just tips it right off the deep end. Into, like, into fucking crazy pants land. What the fuck is wrong with you, Elijah? Why would you eat that? Yeah. <laughs> Misty, understandably, asks, what is your deal? She asks, does he not have a job? Oh, I love this. It's the most, like, deranged and unhinged way for him to be a millionaire possible. It's so good. He's like... He hasn't had a job in years. He's a multimillionaire. He tells Misty that he, or presumably his family, because he wasn't in much condition to be suing people at the time, sued a scaffolding company when one of their beams came loose and caused a torrent of bricks to fall on his head. He got a metal plate put on his head and six million dollars. Even the experts don't know how he survived. And I somehow, like, for some reason, I really love the fact that he said all that in the third person. I know, I know. Like, uh, did you uh, get some brain damage from them bricks there? Like, <laughs> yeah, hear, you, you hear right? about that guy who, yeah, yeah. It'd be funny if it wasn't. I was like, I just thought I'd tell you about a guy. He's not me. <laughs> this is. So, I killed him. And, yeah, I killed know, him and stole his money. I was in his will. <laughs> I mean, well, that feels as good opportunity as any to ask you. Do you think Walter is what he seems to be, or is he untrustworthy in some way? Well, it's hard to say. Given the evidence, I have to assume he's just some crazy eccentric millionaire who got some bricks fallen on him. Yeah, it's very similar to the I Think You Should Leave sketch where the character played by Patty Harrison just gets a lot of money because she was accidentally sewed into the pants of the giant Charlie Brown balloon at the Thanksgiving Day Parade. She is now afraid of little bald boys and screams the phrase, I can't stop having wine. (laughs) Great fucking show. Misty despite Walter's consternation, just straight up asks the waitress, do you know about the cult with the purple people? She responds that they are awful tippers, mm, and that they sell their honey at the farmer's market every Tuesday. <laughs> the cute little exchange of Walter's like, today is Tuesday. Yeah, I know. Come on with that luck. <laughs> so cute. Yeah, I think Walter's going to be another Adam, a guy who was just in the wrong place at the wrong time. Got to adult tie, just... Straight up walking down the highway to her destination. 
Yeah. A massive truck pulls over beside and the guy offers to give her a ride. She seems reluctant, but then he tells her that he voted for her. Now, okay. If you thought that the asinine US politics complaints were done, listener, then I'm afraid you were incorrect. Because <laughs> how the fuck is this guy in Ty's tiny state electoral district? Like, it's so absurdly coincidental that he comes from the exact postcode that she does. But whatever, whatever. Ty grabs a pen off the floor. It has one of those slippy screen things. It slides down to reveal a naked chick. Yeah, he seems <laughs> nervous about this, but she's all like, how much do you want for it? <laughs> Yeah, and I actually wondered, did she just buy that I think pen she did. off the random truck driver guy? And then when she goes to see a certain person later in this episode, she'll show it to that person, and they'll be like, yeah, that rules. <laughs> Cut to the post. Everyone is chilling in the cabin. Akila is reading an SAT prep book. Now, dumb digression, the SATs are an acronym that isn't short for anything. Wait, it isn't? Yeah, it's just itself. It's a test you take in the US. and it, I it, thought it was like standardized something testing. It used to be that. Now it doesn't mean anything. They, they declared that it's no longer a true acronym. Okay. You can just do that. Yeah. Um, interestingly, this... But they still call it that. Yeah. SATs. That's, that's dumb. Oh, well, okay. Yeah. Akila seems to still think there's some hope of them being rescued. Hence why she is doing that. I tell you what, if I was in... Okay, I, I know it's like... You want to do something like that so you can take resolve in the idea of that you're going home eventually and inject some sort of normality in your environment, and I understand that, but even so, I still think I wouldn't be doing fucking schoolwork if I was stranded in the woods. Is normality a slang word for heroin? Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> that would, I don't know, maybe temporarily alleviate the situation. <laughs> yeah, uh, Mari and Crystal are still futzing about with some playing cards. Keep your pin in that. Uh, a creepy close-up on Mari's face, reveals that she is still hearing the mysterious dripping from last episode. What the fuck is it? Matthew, any ideas? Nope. I My somewhat disgusting idea was that it was Harvey urinating everywhere. <laughs> Mari asks Akila to help her find where it's coming from. Akila says that she is all busy studying for the SAT. Mari points out that she, do that she doesn't have to do that. Akila says that she in fact does because she will be a grade below the others when they get rescued. Yeah, when you get rescued. Akila, as she's helping Mari look, discovers and befriends an adorable mouse. Yeah, he's cute. She hides him from Mari, presumably out of an understandable fear that Mari would just eat him. Mm. Yeah, I hate to say it, I do not see good things in this adorable mouse friend's future, nor do I see good things in Akila's future. There's probably a lot of doomed pets in this episode. Cut to Teen Lottie bollocking about in the woods. She discovers... What I, I think is the stump where they left the bear heart. Creaky music plays as she cuts her palm, which, as I've pointed out previously, you shouldn't do. I mean, you shouldn't cut anywhere on yourself, but if for some ersatz reason you did need to get some of your blood out, you should choose the thigh or something. She has quite a habit of it. Yeah, she really... You shouldn't do that. So many blood vessels, it'll just get, like, into... I'm going to stuff one out now. You, you get it. Just assume it's the case every time she does that. So, yeah. Lottie wants some guidance from the spirits. She doesn't seem to be getting it so far. We then see Nat wandering around the snowy landscape, following those tracks. She approaches the frozen lake and discovers a moose lodged in the ice with its antlers poking out. Fuck! Cut to adult Nat and Lisa, who are paying a visit to Lisa's mother in order to pick up her goldfish, which is named the 14th Gilly. And, spoiler alert, there's a good fucking reason there's been 13 of these beforehand. <laughs> 
there's at a, a certain point, don't you just stop getting goldfish? It's like maybe you you'll get so. something that uh, has a longer lifespan. Or yeah, something. get a Galapagos tortoise. <laughs> Lisa requests that Nat not tell Lottie about their detour. Nat points out that that's sort of fucked, but she acquiesces. Yeah, apparently Lottie doesn't seem to think it's a good idea for the cult members to see their families. Hmm. Lisa's mom initially seems happy that she is home, but Lisa tells her she's not staying. Lisa tells her mother that she's stopped taking her meds but feels a lot better. Lisa's mom says that she can tell that she's depressed, and Lisa says that she is, but she's dealing with it. Things get a bit heated, and her mom requests that Nat step out for a bit. Yeah, this... Let's just say that Nat's approach in this storyline is very different to mine, which is to not get involved. You know, she very much is a person that likes to get involved. Mm. But to be fair, like, that chick's mother is being a bit of a twat. Yes, she is. But also, uh, I mean, we'll get into this like more. Like, probably a bigger twat sandwich than... Uh, Mari? Mari, yeah. Really? Well, I don't know. <laughs> She's being a pretty mega twat sandwich. That's a, that's a bold claim for Mari in this episode. But yeah. I also think that despite that being the case, I don't think the cult is a great place for Lisa to be either. But mm. yeah, let's not get into that. Cut to Shauna and Callie in the car. Oh my, this scene is this scene is quite something. <laughs> Callie comments that they're in the middle of fucking nowhere and her phone has no bars. Oh no. Shauna gets out of the car and sits on the hood, inviting Callie to join her. Shauna says that she knows that Callie has been lying about sleeping at Ilana's and asks if she has been lying about anything else. Callie, I have to say understandably, responds, Is there anything you've lied about that I need to know? <laughs> you got it there. Yeah. What I want to know is, like, how long were they driving to get out of cell phone range? Hours. Hours, I presume. And, like... Tedious, yeah. She didn't at any point just question, like, all right, dude, been in the car a while, like, where the fuck are we going? <laughs> yeah, I, maybe she did, and Melody Linsky just responded by charmingly playing her off in the manner that she does. Mm. We haven't gotten to the supposedly fun place I haven't decided where <laughs> it is yet. Quite. Yeah. Callie then straight up asks, did you kill that guy? Did Dad? Yeah, Shauna then fully just admits to killing Adam. Fuck me. Okay, I want to, I want to, I want to take a temperature on this. Matthew, is this a good move or a bad move? Because on the one hand, now she can like help them co-conspire and she's not like a liability to the same extent, but on the other hand, now she's an accessory. Do you think this was the right call? It's hard to say. Do you know? We live in a world of grey... Not everything's black and white. That's really fucking true, my friend, and it's something I wish more people understood. Yeah, I love that. I love that Shauna is like, yeah, Adam. He was blackmailing my teammates. Uh, no, no, wait. Actually, he wasn't. She's she's told that lie so often she almost believes it. And then she, she, uh, Callie is like, you killed a person, like an innocent person who did not deserve to die. And Shauna's just like, yeah, <laughs> big deal. Deal with it. Yeah, swings and roundabouts. Callie is like, I knew Dad didn't have anything to do with this. I knew it was all you. And this statement mega annoys Shauna, who then reveals that Jeff was in fact the blackmailer. And Callie's like, he's the reason this entire thing happened and that you're now a murderer? Shauna responds, no, 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 no. Uh, well, yes. No, 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 yes. Uh, she responds, he's not a bad person. He's just a bad criminal, <laughs> which is good. Callie then asks, is there really... Very good question. Why did he think he could blackmail the Yellow Jackets for money? Shauna, after some hesitation, says that 
we did things out there that we're really ashamed of. Maybe one day I can talk to you about it, but for now, can that just be enough? Jesus fucking Christ, what is Callie thinking? She, she must be thinking that they did the most insane, horrible, awful shit in the universe out there because she just admitted to literal cold-blooded murder. Well, not cold-blooded, but like, murdered murder to her. And, and like... We did shit that was worse than that. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Cannot wait to see it. Yeah, um, Melanie Linsky and Sarah Desjardins both absolutely fucking nail this scene. Uh, we cut to the past. Van shows Ty the map that she has been making of the marked trees, where she transferred onto the map, that w- which she transferred onto the map that Nat and Coach Penn have been making. And wouldn't you know it? The trees form a map of the symbol. Van is literally Charlie in the Pepe Sylvia episode of Always Sunny. That's a very funny reference if you get it. Um, which I don't. Which you don't. <laughs> uh, I... Made this comment like, I don't know how accurate this would actually be, you know, like because because you're you're starving, traumatized teenagers staggering about in the snow. Are you really gonna like be able to mentally retain like how many paces this place was from that place, and then transfer that onto a one to one scale on all different pieces of paper that you're then putting together? Yeah, and I'm sure like paces change yep. Yep. in paceness, like depending <laughs> on the the topography topography of the the land you know you're going up or downhill you know there might be different size and yes how many paces in a diagonal yeah yeah so many points and that to me i don't consider that to be like a writing flaw i actually think that's a good thing because it's like then you could interpret it as van is subconsciously seeing the evidence she wants to see in order to form the symbol because yeah spoiler alert all the trees that have the symbol on them form the symbol so then you could see it as like because she wants there to be some underlying mythology to it so that she can tap into it by a tie and that they can un- unlock the mystery of it so they can escape, she is seeing what she wants to see. Or or you could say that their map is broadly accurate, but and the cabin guy intentionally made it that way, so they put the symbols there, so there's nothing supernatural going on. Or you could say there's something extremely supernatural and weird going on, because how does unconscious Ty know to find those trees all the time? Or... You could say that it's just confirmation bias, and maybe there's actually a bunch of other trees that have the symbol on them that Ty doesn't find. Maybe they like all have the symbol on them. Oh dear, I've gone cross-eyed. Yeah, I feel like this show and uh, asks a lot more questions than it answers. By yes. the way, is the cabin in like the middle of the group of symbols? Yes, yes, I, I believe it's in the the, the top he- like circular bit. It's in the middle of there. Well, there you go. Yes. So yeah, that's uh, that's interesting. Ty says, this is just a bunch of random points. You could make any kind of shape from these, which is kind of what I was just saying. Van is like, I don't understand why you won't see what's right in front of you. Ty says that she understands that Van is trying to help her, and she's grateful, but it's possible this is all meaningless. And then Van makes a response that I actually think is very fair. She's like, yeah, it's possible. It's also possible that I am right. And they're like, that's true. You shouldn't just reactionarily deny the possibility of a supernatural explanation. And also... Good on her for standing up for herself, which is not always something she finds easy to do. But like, okay, I I realize I've never actually asked you about this, like, straight up on the podcast, so I might as well do so now. Do you, Matthew, as a person, do you believe, however you define it, in the existence of the supernatural? Not necessarily. Not necessarily. Like, like it's never sat me down and been like, hey, I exist. <laughs> well, no, but I'm... I think I'm similar to you. I kind of take an agnostic attitude to it, where I'm like, I don't dismiss anything out of hand. Like, 
there's a possibility that anything could exist, but until I see some good evidence, I'm not going to affirmatively believe in it, if that makes sense. Yeah, like, there are certain, like, coincidences that you could take yeah. in terms of, like, you know, a larger spiritual entity or something, but, you know... Or it could just be not that. Or astrology, you know, yeah. some random planet alignments made this happen or whatever, like... But, you know, it's just so hard to prove, you know? It is hard. It's hard to prove and hard to disprove, which is the frustrating thing about it, but, mm. like, I'm reminded of some comment that the co-creator of the show, Ashley Lyle, made an interview I thought was actually good. She was like, the supernatural, quote-unquote, in a sense, doesn't exist because everything is natural. Everything that is in the world is of the world. If it turned out that, say, ghosts existed, they would exist due to absolutely classifiable scientific phenomena. It would just be that we don't understand yet. As the bloke in the Thor movie says, magic is just science we don't understand yet. God, if he could be conceivably proven to existed, could be taxonomically classified as an organism the same as any other. Yeah, but that all sounds a bit tricky, doesn't it? Very much so. How do you prove something you don't see? And that is the whole drama at the, the heart of the show. That's like the basis of science. You've got to be able to see it and prove yeah, it. Yeah, and, and that's why these things crap. are currently unclassifiable by science. You never know, we invent some special goggles. Maybe we will. <laughs> Van points to the bottom of the creepy symbol where the hook thing would be. She says that if she's right, there will be a tree with the symbol carved on it there. She asks Ty to come look for it with her. And Ty agrees. Cut to Ben, trying to read his copy of The Magus that was at the cabin. If you know anything about that book, you know it's probably not going to make him feel any better. He puts it aside and starts daydreaming about his life with Paul. In Imagination Land, Ben has discovered a photo album of Paul's past dudes. Paul describes his former guys to Ben, noting that one brought him a day-old bagel at the bakery. Ouch, as you would say, it's not a sin to be thrifty. <laughs> Paul asks Ben if he has a box of similar knickknacks of his past lovers. He responds that he doesn't. He just has a bunch of sports trophies from playing coaching soccer. He missed out on a lot of fun gayness. Oh. Paul says that those guys were his past... And Ben is his future, and they kiss. It's really cute, pity it's not real. This is what Elizabeth Bowen would call a saving hallucination. And yeah, I think that this whole imaginary storyline with Ben is just going to make it more depressing when something horrific happens to him. Are you sure it's imaginary? Like, I could have sworn it was well, like a recollection. No, 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 well, well see, that's the thing. In the, in the previous episode, it was a recollection. Every It was the memories of how his relationship with Paul ended, but then... He starts imagining a different alternate path where he didn't get on the plane with them to nationals. Ah. So everything after that point is him imagining what his life would have been like. I see. So everything pre that is what actually happened. So yeah, ah. it is. It is a little confusing, you know. Thank um, you for elucidating. Yeah. Cut to the present. Nat is overhearing Lisa and her mum argue. Lisa's mum seems to be arguing that Lisa can't take care of herself or trust a cult to take care of her. I agree with that second part. I just think she's being a knob about it. Nat barges in and starts getting angry at Lisa's mom. Sorry, Lisa's mom, even though you suck, I would like to use your name, I would if you had one. And Lisa is all, you're not helping! And the two of them depart, rather icily. And as I said, if I were Nat, I wouldn't involve myself in such an argument at all. But I suppose she and I are very different people. Now this was, uh, this was gross. When they are in the car, Nat spits the damn goldfish out of her mouth and into the jar. Here's your fucking fish. It's so good, so good. <laughs> Great impression. Yeah, so so fucked and yet so hilarious. I 
again, hate to agree with her, but I think your mom was right to be concerned for this goldfish. They, you can't just keep them in glass jars or, you know, bowls. They need filtration, stimulation, gravel, all sorts of things. It, fish flakes. M- fish flakes, yeah. Maybe they have that at the cult compound, but I somehow doubt it. Yeah, I, it's not surprising this is the 14th one. Cut to Nat and Walter as they approach the honey stand at the market. Misty asks if this is where the purple dudes are. The lady replies that it's supposed to be, but they never showed up. She gives vague directions to their compound. Misty says they should go there now. Walter says it's getting dark. They should stay at a and b and surprise them in the morning. Ooh, what an interesting idea. Hey, is there any evidence that these uh, purple cult dudes are cannibals? No, I... I don't think they are. I feel like that, that'd be a real missed opportunity, though, because then they could just self-identify as the purple people eaters. Allow me to amend my answer. <laughs> I don't think they're cannibals yet. Yeah, it, it hasn't been established, but... I think Lottie has actually been entirely on the up-and-up, or at least predominantly so, so far. Yeah, but you think there's a potential that she'll go off the deep end and I... they'll... Be like, hey, you know what? Uh, people are a great source of protein. <laughs> I think there is a borderline certainty that in this season, Lottie will go off the deep end. And yeah. also, have we mentioned that uh, some uh, isolated tribes seem to think that eating people is a secret to immortality or some shit? Yeah, yeah, that's actually a common thing in many cultures. You eat someone's flesh to gain their power. Yeah, that's bizarre. I, again, like, you know, I can't disprove it, but I don't <laughs> necessarily believe in it. <laughs> yeah. Cannibalism is basically just cooler recycling. I'm a big fan of recycling. Yeah, we cut to the past. Nat bursts into the cabin and tells everyone she found a moose frozen in the lake and that she needs the help to excavate it. Yeah, Mari is all, I thought the rule was no assistance. And Ben is like, oh my fucking god, this is food. Yeah, he hands Nat an implement. He's basically like, this is more important to you colossal dung splat. I'm uh, paraphrasing, but that's basically what he says. Mari's all, Misty, you literally set the fucking rules. I'll tell Lottie. And Misty responds, go for it. Tell her that I didn't want us to fucking starve. Which, man, when you were in an argument and with Misty and she is the unequivocally reasonable one, that's how you know you fucked up. Yeah, it's like how in uh, Being John Malkovich, like, when you're asking Charlie Sheen for advice, <laughs> you know you fucked up. Or Robert Downey Jr. But yeah. <laughs> Nat, Misty, Shauna, Crystal, Travis, Jen, and Melissa all depart. Mari and Akila stay behind, the latter saying that she hopes that Lottie is okay. Mari is all, of course she is. No, not of course. <laughs> Ty and Van are off doing their own thing while this is happening, which I think is kind of fun. And cut to Lottie wandering about the woods with her palm bleeding. This doesn't seem to be helping her find any game. She then discovers a plane... Similar to the one Laura Lee exploded in, R.I.P. Leonard, the absurdly named teddy bear, is there too. He's sitting on the seat. And creepy (coughs) music is playing as Lottie discovers a a hatch leading down into the earth. I'm not going to bury the lead here. She's having a fucked up dream sequence. Lottie then arrives at a strange spectral shopping centre. Unfortunately, I didn't see a TJ Maxx anywhere, so she can't redeem any of her TJ bucks. What a missed opportunity. Which, again, stupidly, is not spelled B-U-X-X. That, that could have been, like, some great closure for her. Just like, <laughs> no, I've spent all my my unredeemed TJ bucks. Uh, she wanders about... Some nice, warm clothes that'll stop me from freezing to death wakes up to say, oh no, it was all a dream. <laughs> yeah, that would be very poignant. 
Lottie wanders about while a tinny mall music version of the show's opening theme plays. She approaches a rack of clothes. An attendant asks if she would like to try some on. She replies that she's just looking. Yeah. I don't know why you are suddenly reluctant to shoplift, Lottie. She walks over to the food court area to discover all of the yellow jackets, minus Jackie. They're just being cute. They're just acting like normal teens. Ugh. Fuck, this was a heart-wrenching scene. This is the life they should have had, dude. I, I liked the shirt Ty was wearing. I would totally wear that shirt. Yeah, Laura Lee, with an adorable hair bow, she, she looks really cute, makes eye contact with Lottie and offers her some vaguely disgusting-looking food court food. Is this a dream in part about Lottie feeling isolated from the others? But just... Just before she eats, Laura Lee interrupts her, asks her if she wants to say something first. Is this like the fairy kingdom in Pan's Labyrinth? If you eat something, you can never leave. Maybe. Because Jackie drank the, the hot chocolate in her thing. But yeah. So you think like if she ate some of that food... She'd be dead. Maybe. She'd, yeah. Maybe, yeah. Mm. Laura Lee points out that she's shivering. And Van in it... Oh, Lord Houston really nails the like fucked up dream version of Van saying, I think I saw a coat for sale at Abercrombie. There's <laughs> a very, very sort of Lynchian food court there in. It'd be great if the dude from the Black Lottie very much. <laughs> Lottie replies that she doesn't have a credit card. Nat interjects that that never stopped her before. Laura Lee tells her to leave, that she will die otherwise. Lottie, Lottie doesn't want to leave her, but she must. Laura Lee pushes Lottie, and we cut back to reality, and Lottie falls over in the snow, motionless. Cut to the others trying to extract the moose from the ice. A tense scene. They break up the ice around the creature's head and tie ropes to its antlers. Nat breaks the surface of the ice and everyone tries really hard to pull it up, but they fail because they're eight starved, exhausted teenagers and moose can weigh up to one and a half imperial tons. Yeah, pretty expected outcome. Matthew, do you... You're more of a, like, physics and leverage guy than me. Do you know of any better ways they could have done this? Not really, given the circumstances. Yeah. You know, they don't have access to any heavy machinery, (laughs) which would be the the easiest way to get it out. Would have been nice. Yeah. But um, yeah, like, maybe a ramp, I I, I don't know, but... Nat is dragged into the water, and she watches as the moose drifts off into the darkness in a really, really beautiful shot of just the, the moose in the unfathomably deep black lake. It's really beautiful. Travis pulls her out of the water. She's she's freaking out. An unexpectedly devastating scene. We cut to the present. Nat and Lisa are chilling at the bar, with the 14th Gilly still just in a jug of water. I don't have high hopes for their future. Nat asks if Lisa is going to kill her fish. Spoiler, probably yes. She seems doubtful. Nat then says... Look, okay, on the one hand, I could be like, this doesn't seem like a good thing to say to a suicidal person... Because she's like, if you want to kill yourself, then kill yourself. It doesn't look like you do, so I think that fish is going to survive the night. And the rest, worry about it tomorrow. But yeah, it's like... That's, I think, the best and most honest advice Nat can give from her life experience. And maybe it's not necessarily amazing, but it's at least honest, you know? Mm. And, you know, there's something to be said for living in the moment. Yeah, as the song... Not worrying about the annoying future that's yet to come. Yeah. Got to leave that in the future where it already is. Yep. As the song says, live every moment, love every day. Lisa asks Nat if she still wants to uh, self-expire. Nat replies, not today. 
and then does not drink from her shot glass. Damn. Powerful fucking scene. We cut to Misty and Walter making a room reservation at the B&B. Walter goes with John John Lange, uh, Lang, whatever, who was a Michael Crichton pseudonym. And he's like, you never went to, and she's like, I wasn't going to use your real name. Yeah, cute, cute exchange. He's like, just one room, right? And and Walter is like, probably. And Misty is like, no. Fuck. The sexual tension, you could cut it with a taco bacon knife. (laughs) They settle on room two. Uh, rather, on two rooms. Misty goes by Lady Malawan and Agatha Christie pseudonym. Then there's a a weird split-screen montage with song Angst in Your Pants by Sparks, a weird sort of Devo-ish, Oingo-Boingo-ish 80s band. Uh, Matthew, did you like this music? I didn't hate it. Good, good result. Yeah, the montage emphasises how similar Misty and Walter are. They both check for surveillance bugs, obsessively make sure not to leave fingerprints, put weird golden goo on their faces and then they put on some respectively tropical rainforest noises and cat noises to sleep. Because of course they do. Walter is such a fascinating little oddball, I'm going to be very sad when he inevitably dies. <laughs> Cut to Jeff and Shauna making dinner together. You you really don't think they're just going to live happily ever after? I <laughs> think that this is not that show. No. Jeff and Shauna making dinner together, they both simultaneously apologise and talk over each other. It's really cute. Jeff goes first. He says that he acted judgily before and he apologises to her. He says that he's trying to take the high road and get over the whole affair thing, but it's he's still not fully over it. Shauna says that that's alright and that she really thinks that they're going to be okay. Yeah, I don't know about that. Shauna then reveals that she told Callie everything. Jeff is, understandably, kind of thrown by this information. He's like, it's like, we only get one shot at this thing. We only get one kid. Which is a very insensitive thing to say if he knows about, you know, the situation with Teen Shauna in the woods and her pregnancy and the unlikelihood of... Well, you get it. (laughs) Jeff says that they must shield her from making the same mistakes that they did and he chews Shauna out for making Callie an accomplice. Shauna defends her decision, saying that they're lying to everybody else. She doesn't want to do so to their own daughter. And as if summoned, Callie appears. And yeah... My opinion is that Callie doesn't suck. She's kind of started to suck less. She's started to suck less. She confesses that when she has been saying that she's been at Ilana's, she has actually been hanging out with a friend, who we as the audience know is Officer Twatface. She then asks if she can chop a thing with them. And they're like, yes, cucumbers. It's actually Did you cute. notice that she's left-handed? I did not. Do you think that's significant? Well, my mother would say that left-handed people are something, something the devil. We're... I right. can't remember the exact context, but yeah. Right. My uh, my granddad was uh, left-handed, and the monks that educated him in Ireland whacked him repeatedly to make him not be left-handed, because it was the devil thing, as, as you said. Ah, devil thing, there you go. I, I'm sure he doesn't actually believe that. <laughs> well, no. <laughs> well, yeah. Cut to a past Nat in a hot bathtub, being confronted, uh, being comforted by Shauna. Mari and Akila stagger inside, carrying Lottie, who passed out where the dead guy's plane was. Nat offers to let her use the tub, and they transport her there and disrobe her. Yeah, they leave Nat and Lottie alone, they have a cute bonding moment. Nat feels responsible for the whole contest thing. Lottie is like, good game, you fucking loser. (laughs) Natalie humorously points out that everybody lost, and it's a really great little bonding moment between them. It's really cute. It will only make the inevitable conflict between them harder. 
Great scene. Lottie in the present is looking at some gratitude entries and hallucinates that some of them are a Queen of Hearts card with the eyes scratched out. Hmm. How very interesting. This freaks her out, so she walks out to a tree stump on the cult drowns. I presume this is a different one, and she didn't just have the same one from the woods airlifted here, and cuts her hand with a knife and bleeds on it, saying, Can this just be enough? Please? It wasn't 25 years ago. Why would it be now? Cut to Van and Ty in the past, who haven't found the marked tree. Ty is being surprisingly accommodating of Van, and is doesn't mind spending more time to search. They then stumble upon some melted snow and moss. They then spy a mystery figure running away. Who could it be? It's pretty obvious who it is. They then chase him down and tackle him. Cut to the present. Nat is watching Lisa excitedly show her goldfish to the other cultists, and then Nat produces the ring of keys that she had before, that she hung on to in the confusion and plans to look inside Lottie's special zone. Phrasing. By which I, of course, mean her cabin. But yeah, I can't... I love that reminder at the end that, like, yeah, she might be becoming closer to some members of the cult, but she's still very much got her own agenda. And then... And then... Cut to the final scene of the episode in the past where Van and Ty, in a pretty damn good move, they burst into the cabin with Harvey, who is alive and well, though not very talkative. And, uh, yeah, they're all freaked out. Travis is freaked out and excited to have him back, but, like, concerned that he can't speak. And then Misty is all like, this means that Lottie was right! Three cheers for Lottie! Hip, hip! Mari then glares at her, and she doesn't do a third hip. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, yeah. And Nat, understandably, is, like, looking freaked out by this. It's like, oh, wow, those bloody pants bit I found, wow, I guess it was just one of those invisible bleeding monsters. (laughs) That's probably not going to fly. And then Van is like, yes, Lottie knew he was alive, but Ty is the one that found him. So is Van maybe thinking, fuck, did I put my faith in the wrong mentally ill girl? Do you think this is a good time for speculation? Yes, yes, speculate. So um, we haven't seen Harvey yet in the present time. No. Do you think they eat him because he's crazy? Okay, here's my theory. Um... Because surely he would have bobbed up sometime around yeah, Travis's demise, Indeed. Right? I, I do think Harvey is not making it out of the woods, and I think that it's probably... Gone a bit savage. I think he's going to, like, go feral and freak out and attack one of their numbers, and then they're going to have to hunt him down and euthanize him. That's my theory. It's going to be really fucked, but, like, yeah, that's what I think. So, yeah, Ty... And then they'll eat him. Yes. <laughs> Ty, she's like, I didn't, I didn't find him. I don't know what's going on. And then Van is like, there is something deep inside of you that is connected to all of this and that possibility seems to terrify her yeah Lottie Lottie and Ty both look very very unsure and I lied before when I said that was the final scene of the episode because this is the final scene of the episode something that I personally have been waiting for for a long time yeah Ty gets and uh, me too Ty gets out of the truck and arrives in what extracurricular material informs me is Oberlin Ohio which makes sense and sees a shop called While You Were Streaming, uh, which is a reference to While You Were Sleeping, the movie that Van was recapping when she got attacked by that wolf immediately afterwards, which you think she wouldn't want to be reminded of that every single day. (laughs) But also, like, turning her horrific traumatic experiences into jokes is what she's been doing her entire life. Sometimes that can be semi-healthy. Very very the fucking lead here. Adult Van is alive, as we already knew, or some of you would have already known. She owns the writer of that shop. 
And she's played by the chick from Psycho Beach Party. Lauren Ambrose, yes. Also in Six Feet Under and Servant. Fantastic in both of those shows. Ty walks inside, sees... And even from the, like, 30 seconds of Lauren Ambrose, you could tell that she is fucking nailing Van's, like, affect and movements and the way her voice sounds. She's talking with some chick who's playing a VHS tape of something, and then she sees Ty, and she's like, who the fuck is that? And then she looks really cool, by the way. Lauren Ambrose looks awesome as, as Van with the scars. And then, like, she she looks at her so, like, so many conflicted expressions, like surprise and astonishment and fear and gladness and consternation all show up on her face. And she's like, Ty? And then Tony Cypress is like, hey, Van. And the episode ends. God, what a good fucking episode. <laughs> what a good ending to an episode. Yeah, this is... A, oh, I'm so fucking excited to see adult Van. <laughs> I've been waiting for that for a long time. Love Van, love Lauren Ambrose. Love to see what they're going to do with her. I really hope Fugue Tie doesn't end up eating her. No, that would be a super bummer. That would be a super bummer. Yeah, that's about all we had to say about this episode. It was a damn good episode. It was less immediately edge-of-your-seat entertaining than last week's, but it was still very interesting. I had a lot of interesting stuff, and I'm very excited to see next week's. Uh, yeah, if, Matthew, like always, you do not have anything else to say... Uh, no, just uh, wish me luck moving. <laughs> yeah, good luck moving. That is all for us for today. Listeners, be well. And remember, we're not out of the woods yet. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.